Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Today's guests talk to us about service and why they feel it's important they give back to their communities, their country, and their God. First up, Neil McCoy is an award-winning country singer who has used his platform to unite his fans through patriotism and to donate his time and talent to charity. Neil tells us about his family's legacy of service and why he thinks getting involved in your local community can have a huge impact. Hey everybody, I'm Neil McCoy. When I was young, we were raised in church. We went to church all the time. My mom is from, uh, from the Philippine Islands. She's one of the ones that helped put all the uh, patriotism I have in my, in my life. But she is also the one that was, that was hard on us kids that get, we're going to church every Sunday. I mean, you're going to go. And, and being the youngest of, of three, you know, I was always trying to use that. Man, my leg hurts. I got a headache. I ain't going to church this morning. <laughs> but but she, was a, she was a tough upbringing from the Philippines. She was 13 years old when the occupation happened. Basically, the Japanese hit Manila about eight hours after they hit Pearl Harbor. They were trying to take over the world at one time. Uh, and so mom was about 13 years old, and the Japanese took over the Philippines, took over Manila, where she's from. Martial law is going around. The Japanese are just killing people and just, you know, it's, it's really ugly over there. And at the time, she's the second of about eight, second oldest of eight kids. She ended up being the second oldest of 18 kids for us all over. Uh, so she understands the horrors of not living in a country with the freedoms. So when my father met her, in, he was in the United States Army, met my mom over in the Philippines, ended up marrying her, coming back home, had us three kids. She was one of the ones that always taught us at a young age, you ought to be grateful of what you've got here. You don't understand unless you've lived somewhere else. You don't understand the rights and the freedoms you have and the, and, and, and the, the religious freedoms, not just the everyday freedoms, religious freedoms that you have to exercise. Uh, and, and, you know, again, when you're young, it's like, yeah, I hear you, Mom. That's good. You're doing good. I'm sure you're teaching us well. But then again, as you mature, uh, you get out, you start traveling a little more, you see some of the things that she was talking about, and then it, it all kind of comes around. So Mom was teaching us from, she was trying to teach us from a young age. Be thankful, be grateful. But, you know, again, at a young age, it's just like, I am. Oh, I'm grateful. I am. I appreciate it. But then you, when, it, when it comes around, and now Mom passed away about four months ago, and she was one of the reasons that I was so patriotic because she, she understood, she had seen my USO work and just kind of what I'd stood for and what I'd turned into a, hopefully as a, as a parent, a man, and a, and a grandparent. And so what really made me start with the, with the Pledge of Allegiance thing that I'm on now that I've done as of this morning, 902 days in a row, was that she was starting to grow ill. And so I wanted to show something that was going to honor her in a way. Uh, and, and so I started, and, and I really, it's before Facebook Live even came around, it, it, I just had a Facebook page. I never really exercised. I was one of those guys, you know, like, oh, my gosh, I see the kids are doing this. I'm old school. I don't have time for it. I didn't even know that, that it could be such a great tool to use. So I, I woke up one morning, I said, I told my wife, I said, I'm going to write the Pledge of Allegiance on my page just to see what will happen. Maybe nothing happened. People may, and sure enough, people writing, what's that about? Or what's the deal with that? And so I just, I started writing it. And I would, I'd written it probably five, six, seven days in a row and just would write the Pledge of Allegiance. And then a couple people started saying, hey, I really appreciate that. That's cool. And then, and I said, well, you know, if you like it, why don't you write it back to me? Because if you're taking the time to write it, you're saying it. 
And a lot of times if you say things out loud, they kind of sink in a little more. Uh, at least that's always been the way with me. Or if you take the time to write it down, it's just better than trying to remember it. So I started doing it, and, and it was garnering quite an audience. People were, were writing back, oh, this is cool, and they would take the time to write it back to me. And then when Facebook Live came around, I started going live with it, and I just said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be on here every morning saying the Pledge of Allegiance. I don't have a set time. I'll give you the time when I finish that day. I'll tell you, I'll kind of look at what I'm going to do tomorrow, and I'll give you a time, and if I miss it by a few minutes, I'll just miss it. And when I started doing it, people, it just, it was, it was crazy. We were reaching a million and a half people a day, and, and sometimes getting 100,000, 200,000 people sharing it, viewing it a day. And so I go somewhere now. I even... My bus is, uh, is wrapped with an American flag, and it's got the Pledge of Allegiance on the side of it. That's how much I'm about it. And you'd be surprised at all the comments and compliments you get from people around the world at shows now. Now people are coming to our shows sometimes just to, in hopes that I'll say the Pledge of Allegiance from the stage. They are that into it. And those are people that have, that love this country, that may not have had a a way to express it, but now they do. Now they can say the Pledge of Allegiance with me every day, and it's a big deal. And, and it's just grown to what it is, and now I guess my nickname's Pledge. People have nicknamed me Pledge, and they send me, I've got so many Pledge of Allegiance from people that have carved in wood and concrete and, and plaques and stuff they've sent me. Uh, and it's really just touched a, a nerve in people. I was never in the military. Formerly, but my, my grandfather was in world in what they called the World War at the time because there wasn't a World War II. My father was in the United States Army. Uh, even met my mom, which one more thing I'm grateful of. So when the towers fell in 01 uh, in New York, everybody was saying, not everybody, but a lot of people in the United States were saying, what can I do? How can I help? What, how can I? So a lot of people were donating blood. Some people were sending donations. What can I do? And a lot of people were left saying, I wish there was something I could do. Wayne Newton reached out to me uh, in the Towers Fell in September in uh, the 1st of November. He knew about my patriotism, my USO work. He was the same guy. He had done some USO work stuff too. He reached out to me and said, uh, we're putting together a, a, a group together to go do a USO tour. Uh, what do you think about going? I said, gosh, yeah, that'd be great. I was so excited that Wayne had even called me or even knew about me. So I went on, my, I went on that USO tour and we got back, uh, that was at Thanksgiving of 2001. We're back about two weeks and he calls me, he said, are you on a, uh, is this a landline or cell phone? I said, it's my cell phone. He said, go to a landline and call me. I call him and he says, uh, he said, we're, we're fixing to take, we're gonna go to, uh, <laughs> he called the sandbox. He said, I can't say that much, but we're going in the sandbox at Christmas. Would you like to go with me? He said, I've invited you uh, and a couple other people. That's all I want to take. It's a small thing we need to get in and out. And I said, I said, well, this will be one I actually have to check my wife on. So I told her, uh, and she said, so you're going to, basically you're going to Afghanistan. And I said, yeah, I think so. I mean, he's, he's calling it sandbox. He's never said Afghanistan, but I tend to think, uh, yeah, that's where we're going. And, and so that was my first time really with Wayne into uh, anything like that. And it just changed my life. It, we went into, we flew into Afghanistan, into Kandahar Airport. Uh, we went into two camps. Uh, Camp Rado was the first base our Marines established when they went into, when they started the invasion into Afghanistan after the towers fell. We went in to see those kids, and, and I won't go into the whole thing, but we were, we were there, and they were, 
they were coming out of foxholes and everything to come into a just a thing that is trunks and light bulbs where we could just even see them. And they were coming in and they hadn't, they'd been there 40, some of them 45 days, no shower, nothing, drinking bottled water. And they would take their goggles off and they were just covered in filth and dirt. And, uh, and we got to give them a little bit of home. And, and from that moment on, I just said, this is something I'll continue to do the rest of my life. So, so that, that whole thing was created from the patriotism that my mom had established in us as a kid. There are a lot of people that love God, that believe in God, but don't want it forced down their throat, if you will. They, they kind of feel like I'll, I'll, I'm on my own relationship with Him. A lot of people that, that have a close relationship with God, it's between them and God, their God. And so I think in, in what that Jesus calling has done is that people want to, believe it or not, know that He is there and that they can call on Him when they feel they need to. And once they feel that need, once they do call on Him and realize that He is there, then, then they're much more comfortable going back to Him and staying with Him. I mean, that's it, that's it in a nutshell, kind of, to me. And so I think that's where the book comes in, and that's where that comfort comes in, that they know they can go and, and read parts of that book and relate. There's a lot of that in there so that almost everybody can find something they can relate to in there. I do a lot of shows, and, and when, you, when you're having record success, that people will call you in, and, uh, and you get to, and it's a paying gig for us. You know, they book it, we go play it, we get there and find out it's a benefit. Well, people, I got tired of people coming up to me, not tired of them, but disappointed, people coming up to me and saying, hey, man, we appreciate you being here and helping these folks. And, 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 and I would say, I, I am so sorry. I'm here, I'm getting paid, and I don't want you to think that, that I'm, on the pretenses of, of here, but I said, and, and I did that, I went to a show in uh, Tucson, or Tombstone, Arizona, and I said, I am gonna make a conscious effort. I wanna find out what's going on. And, and from now on, if I go there and somebody's patting me on the back, I wanna know what I'm helping, what I'm doing. So, so we were helping a, a little boy, they were trying to raise money, and after everything's paid for, the money left, it goes to, and he had bone marrow cancer. His name was Matthew Barney, became friends with him, put him in one of my first successful video song we had called Wink, it was a big hit for us. He was in the video. I went home to my wife, she was pregnant with our son. And I said, you know what? There's a lot of people that are helping people. What can we do? What? And so we sat down and we talked about it and we said, well, we'll start a foundation to where, because a lot of times when catastrophes happen, when somebody needs financial help, they wait until it happens and then everybody gets together, tries to raise money and it's almost too late. So we, we said, we're gonna raise money, put it into a foundation to when a, a child needs it, it'll be there already. The East Texas Angle Network, it's a foundation my wife and I started coming September, it'll be 24 years ago, to help children with life-threatening, life-challenging illnesses in our home area, our Northeast Texas area. We've, uh, I've done a lot of stuff for, and continue to do, for Ronald McDonald Houses and St. Jude's and a lot of that stuff. But on a, I think if more people got involved in helping their areas, their communities, their regions, uh, it, would, it would lighten the load on some of the national things. As you get a little older, you kind of look around, you figure out life a little better, you understand, uh, you understand God a little more, you understand what the, the things that we should thank Him for and be grateful for. And then you get married, you have your kids and grandkids and, and everything just kind of comes full circle to where looking back I understand what mom was trying to do.
If you'd like to learn more about Neil McCoy or follow along with his daily Pledge of Allegiance, visit neilmccoy.com. We'll be back with the second half of our podcast after this brief message from Jesus Calling about Jesus Calling Stories of Faith. As a listener of the Jesus Calling podcast, we hope you've enjoyed the stories of faith it is our honor to bring you each week. Now we are bringing our stories to you on video with the guests you've come to know and love from the podcast. Not only will we feature stories from well-known people like Reva McIntyre, Max Licato, Lisa Turkhurst, and others, but we'll also bring you real-life stories of Jesus Calling readers, just like yourselves, who share their stories of hope, restoration, and inspiration. Join us twice monthly on the Jesus Calling Facebook page, where we'll bring you Jesus Calling Stories of Faith on Sunday nights. Also, so you don't ever miss a new story, be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Calling YouTube page by going to jesuscalling.com slash YouTube, where you can watch all of our videos. Our next guest is Air Force veteran Rodney D. Bullard, who is now Executive Director of the Chick-fil-A Foundation. Rodney is a graduate of the Air Force Academy, Duke Law, and Harvard Business School. His new book, Heroes Wanted, Why the World Needs You to Live Your Heart Out, released earlier this year. Today, Rodney shares powerful ways we can reach out to others to become everyday heroes and create a life of service. My name is Rodney Bullard, and I have the honor of working with Chick-fil-A and the Chick-fil-A Foundation as Executive Director of the Chick-fil-A Foundation and Vice President of Community Affairs at Chick-fil-A, Inc. And that has been an absolute labor of love uh, to work with Dan Cathy and the Cathy family and Chick-fil-A and the staff at Chick-fil-A who all have uh, a sense of higher purpose and a sense of we are there to be more than just a restaurant and uh, but we're there to be a place of inspiration and, and giving and so happy about that and very pleased about the work that we've been able to accomplish through the Chick-fil-A Foundation. But we also understand that there's income and then there's the opportunity for influence off of uh, the income. And the Chick-fil-A Foundation is purposed on ensuring that every child grows up to be everything that they were created to be. And in order to do that, uh, we have to create strong communities where children feel safe, where education is thriving and children get exposed and that they feel that they can do anything and they say see opportunities and people coming into those communities who give them hope and inspiration. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, or right outside of Atlanta, Georgia, in Decatur, Georgia. And my father, a Baptist minister, uh, and my mother, an educator, uh, they were uh, my early role models and my early heroes, quite frankly. Uh, my father, in particular, taught me a lot about nurturing, and my mother, in particular, taught me a lot about resilience and not giving up or giving in, uh, and the importance of education. And so my, uh, my mother always stressed education, and she gave me uh, the opportunity to have a great education. My first recollection of a hero outside of my own family members uh, was when I was in first grade. And I had a difficult time reading in first grade, and I was uh, going to one particular school, uh, a private school here in Atlanta, and my mother received a call uh, from that school, and they told her that I had a difficult time reading and that they wanted to place me in a developmentally slower class. And my mother, uh, an educator herself, 
moved me to a new school, and the new school uh, involved and included a teacher by the name of Mrs. Adams, and Mrs. Adams was uh, my new first grade teacher in the middle of the school year at that point, and she also noticed that I had a difficult time reading, and at the end of the school year, she called my mother, and she said, hey, Rodney has a had a difficult time reading over this year, but I see potential in him, and I would like to uh, help tutor him over the summer. And she did that. She tutored me over the summer, and she uh, taught me to read phonetically. And because of that, I was reading two grade levels ahead of my peers at the end of the summer. And so, you know, I found somebody who took of their summer, took of their time uh, to do something extra beneficial, extraordinary for me. And, you know, I still am the return on investment for that investment and many others, uh, many other people along the way uh, invested in me, many educators, many mentors, many business mentors and educators and et cetera, invested in me. And so, you know, we all have heroes. I think we all can recount somebody who, whether it was an educator or whether it was a family member or someone else, who took the time to invest in us. Uh, and I think it's important for us to remember those heroes so we're, we're inspired by their, their dedication and their action. I went off to the Air Force Academy after high school, and I went to the Air Force Academy for three reasons. They had a, a great football team, and I was a football player in college, and they had a mock trial team, and I aspired to be an attorney. And it was a leadership institution, and I always admired leadership, particularly growing up in Atlanta, the cradle of the civil rights movement, and just seeing the, the leadership, the selfless leadership of Dr. King and others. Uh, and so leadership has always been important to me. My parents were not, uh, were not disciplined in the way of the Air Force Academy or the Air Force. Um, and so it was... In some ways, a shock, but in some ways, it was refreshing because of the structure, and there was um, there was an expectation of greatness that I appreciated that the Air Force Academy provided. Uh, and I think that we rise to the occasion based off of the expectations that are placed on us. Uh, and so I think about that when I think about the personal expectations that I place on myself, uh, as well as the organizational expectations that are placed on me externally. And so it's key to me uh, as I look back at the Air Force Academy that leadership makes everything happen. And I have come to my own conclusion that leadership is about solving hard problems. Uh, anybody can solve easy problems, but it's really about solving hard problems at its greatest. And that we should aspire to try and solve hard problems, authentic, real problems. And that that means helping somebody else. Those problems uh, really are not as significant, and they have not a hollow quality, but they don't have the same resonance if those problems are just for ourselves. And that's not to say we don't have to solve our own problems. We do, without question. But we also have to look beyond ourselves as we solve our own problems to help others. And I think we'll find satisfaction as we look to help our neighbors. And we looked across division and divide to do so. Uh, and so there's opportunity in our country, particularly at this time, to cross division and divide, um, to understand that we all have 
the same humanity and we all have the same problems and the same desires and the same aspirations. And because of that, uh, we can empathetically help one another regardless of any difference. When I was a young child, I really had a curiosity and interest in history, and I still love history. Uh, I'm particularly uh, struck by Abraham Lincoln, and I'm particularly struck by Winston Churchill. Lincoln's cabinet was successful because it had rivals. It had people who were on different sides of issues and sometimes different personalities that conflicted. But at the end of the day, uh, Harvard has done studies that teams that are more diverse sometimes feel like it's tougher, but they get more done. They, they accomplish more because of their different perspectives, and they're able to bring those viewpoints together to get something greater than their selves and the whole or the individual parts. Winston Churchill also was such a charismatic and dynamic leader in a time of trouble for his country. And so I think that both of those corollaries relate and resonate with me, that Strength in trouble, strength in difficulty is such a hallmark of a leader uh, because there will be trouble, there will be difficulty. And it really kind of speaks to the heart of the book that I've written, Heroes Wanted, that we all have a hero in us. We don't have to be the leader of a country, but we all will see difficulty. We all will encounter people who have difficulty in their lives. And there is an opportunity when we encounter that difficulty to help somebody else to ameliorate those hurts and those wrongs. Uh, and we all have that ability to do that in very simple and kind ways. The book has nine different chapters. All of them begin with C. Two of the chapters are calling and conviction. And I particularly uh, call attention to conviction. Our hearts are convicted when we take the time to notice that which is around you. In fact, I call it that which is when you, within your three feet, uh, that we can't change the world, but we can impact the three feet around us. And that we have to take the intentional step to notice that which is within our three feet. And when we see a problem, uh, particularly a problem that naturally convicts us, and I think all of us do see issues that convict us, that, that tear at our heart, and that we say, we know that's not right. We know something you know, something needs to be done about that. That we don't wait for somebody else to do something about it, that we do something about it. And that we answer that, which is now becoming a calling. Uh, that we, we are convicted in our heart, and then we answer that calling to do something about it. And I also talk in the book, uh, finally, that you don't have to be able to solve all the problem. In fact, uh, I talk in the book about the only. And that's oftentimes we say, well, I only can do this or I only can do this. Uh, but turn that on its head and say, instead, I have this time and I have this skill to give in that time. And only I have this skill to give. And it may not be a lot of time, but I'm going to give that time because only I can give this skill in that time. And I think that's important for us to see ourselves as giving whatever drop we have in the bucket because everybody has to give a drop to fill the bucket. They're different types of heroes. Uh, they're big age heroes, they're little age heroes. Uh, they are different types of heroes. Also, there's an element of inspiration in being a hero. And I definitely haven't been inspired by athletes and their sacrifice and what they've done on a court or a field with a ball or racket and I have definitely been inspired by people who give of small acts of kindness 
and people who give uh, in moments of insignificance or seemingly insignificant times. And so I think that we all have a hero in us. What does concern me and did concern me even as I was writing this book and using the term hero, that it is such an overused term. It has a little bit of, a, of triteness to it. And um, but really the purpose of the book is to turn his head on that triteness that we don't have to see heroes as this big glamorous thing and heroes as those who have given the ultimate sacrifice only those are heroes without question but heroism also is an everyday act and there is an everyday opportunity to be someone else's hero and it can be speaking to somebody who thousands of people pass by and never speak to but you speak to them and you make their day and you were the hero in that moment for that day. I think we all have fears, and I think that we ebb and flow in our confidence uh, if we're all honest about that. And that confidence may ebb and flow when we try something new. That confidence may ebb and flow uh, when crisis comes or when, actually, when good things happen. Sometimes when you're riding a wave, you say, I can't believe that I'm here. I can't believe I'm riding this wave, and when is it going to crash? And I think that it is healthy for us to recognize that. I think it's healthy for us to embrace it. But I also think it's healthy for us to have faith uh, in ourselves and have faith uh, from our own personal belief uh, perspective in a, in a higher order that our lives are being orchestrated uh, and that we, uh, we don't have to rely on our own strength so much, uh, but that God does have us and that he will uh, keep us. Uh, and that we can make it with him. And so I think that trust, in fact, uh, actually brings to mind uh, your, your uh, daily devotional, Jesus Calling. Um, you have a passage on January 4th that really struck me. And so on January 4th, it says, I want you to learn a new habit. Try saying, I trust you, Jesus, in response to whatever happens to you. If there is a time, think about who I am in all my power and glory. Ponder also the depth and breadth of my love for you. And so uh, that's an important passage. I know it's a, it's, a, it's a daily devotional, but it's important for us to remember who he is and that he does have us and that he does keep us and we can trust him. Uh, and we don't have to trust ourselves because if we're just trusting ourselves, surely we will recognize our own insignificance and surely we will become uh uh, we would notice that we're walking on water and we shouldn't be. And so uh, so I think that's important. I haven't been noted for changing communities. I think I've been noted uh, for being a part of teams and for being a part of organizations and for being a part of uh, groups of leaders that have been noted. And I think that's important distinction because it's easy for us to think of ourselves as bigger than we are. It's easier for us to think of ourselves as an anecdote or a hero, but really, I don't think what we're in need of is a superman or a super being or a superhero. I think we're in need of each one of us putting our shoulder to the rebuilding of the wall and that we do that collectively and we do that together and we do that in community and we do that with conviction and we do that because of a calling. And I think that if each one of us use our, uses our own particular gifts, then we will answer our call of leadership, we'll answer our call of community, and we'll answer our call of heroism.
You can find Rodney's book, Heroes Wanted, on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we talk with author and speaker Kristen Fry, who has been ministering for almost 20 years. Kristen has a passion for helping others live the full lives God designed for them and talks to us about how we can find our genuine identities in Him. I am here, and God has a purpose and a plan for my life that He has purposed and planned for only me to fulfill. Being married or not married isn't going to affect any of that. So I want to make the most of the life that I have been given. And I always say that to other women too. Hey, you can do things that only you can do. You've been created on purpose for a purpose. Do you love hearing great stories of faith each week via the Jesus Calling podcast? We want to hear from you. If you haven't already subscribed to the Jesus Calling podcast, visit the Jesus Calling page at iTunes.com and hit the subscribe button. While you're there, we'd love for you to leave us a review and tell us how you feel about the show and what future guests you'd love to see. Your reviews and subscription help us share these stories of faith to more people who need the hope and encouragement of Jesus Calling. If you have your own story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Visit JesusCalling.com to share your story today.